Good morning, New Life. <laughs> um, if you have your Bibles with you, could you please turn with me to Luke 9, 10 through 17. And I want to encourage you to bring your actual Bibles. Remember that when we used to bring our Bibles to church? Not have our phone? Okay. On their return, the apostles told him that all that they had done, and he had took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about five thousand men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about fifty each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, twelve baskets of broken pieces. So Lord, we thank you for your word that is a lamp to our feet. I pray today, Lord, as we look into your word, that you would do only what you and only, only what you can. That in this place today, Lord, you would draw the, the sinner to you, that you would heal the, the hurting, that, God, you would mend the hearts of the broken. I pray that today you would bring the flesh into a place of healing. I pray, God, that in the midst of the, the service, that even now, Lord, that people would make a decision to submit their sins to you, to see them forgiven, and to, Lord, make a decision to follow you. Lord, your word is able to do what no man can. So we pray today, Lord, that you would cause the impossible to become possible, that you would transform lives from the front to the back, from one side to the other, and we thank you for that today in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Listen, I am, for the sake of time, I'm going to stay really close here to my notes because it's so easy to get off of this, and I I want to talk today about this story, this story about the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus takes these five loaves and two fish and and literally performs what is the most well-known miracle in all of the Bible, the the story of Jesus feeding the multitudes. And and in this, it's it's, honestly, it's the only miracle that's in all four gospels, all four of the synoptic gospels. It's in each and every one of those stories. And this is one of those, as I studied this this week, this is one of the stories that drives skeptics crazy. It drives the naturalist crazy. It drives people crazy because you just can't explain it. Except for this. It was a miracle. It was, I mean, it's the only way to explain this is a miracle. But I don't believe that as I studied through it, it's primarily just a miracle. I believe it's a miracle lesson. And it was a miracle lesson that was intended to be given primarily to the disciples, not to the crowds. So the message today, God wants to primarily speak to, primarily speak to, those who are disciples. Are you a disciple of Christ? Are you a disciple that God is, is, is sharing these truths with? Come on, amen? I mean, honestly, we're either a disciple or we're not. 
We're either in this process or we're not. I mean, there's just no two ways about it. You know, it's like being born again. You're either born again or you're not. Okay, there's no middle ground there. I mean, there's no, you know, well, I'll just leave it at that. But um, this is a, a miracle that was for these disciples. And for us to look at this, I want us to understand, and I want to try to bring it home, making it real, to, to bring us and put us into the position of these disciples and take a look at kind of what was going through their mind in the middle of all of this, trying to just take a, a, a view of what the scripture and what it is that's going on in all of this. And I, and I hope that it'll, it'll minister to you. We're going to look at Luke, and we're looking as we go through Luke chapter 9, the verses that Sarah just read for us. Uh, again, we're going to look at all four Gospels, so if you got Luke, open up to Luke, but uh, please follow along on the app. I have all the scriptures in the app, and we're going to jump back and forth, and you won't have time uh, to, to do that and still pay attention. So first thing that happens is that is in this, in verse 10, it says that they, they, began to, they withdrew to Bethsaida. Verse 10, on their return, the apostles told him all that they had done, and they took him, or they he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. Now, as, as we read last week and then the week before, the, or the times before, we were in the scriptures in Luke 8, we see that the disciples were, they were on this mission. They'd been sent out. They were out two by two and they were out ministering. They were probably, probably somewhere around six weeks. They were out on this short-term mission, working every day, doing the things that God was calling them to do. And so when they're coming back, these guys, I'm sure, were super excited. If you, you know, again, how many times have you gotten out of church and it was like, man, God spoke to me in church and this was amazing and incredible. <laughs> Y'all better say often. <laughs> and, and you go home and you, it's like, I want to tell somebody about this. I want to tell somebody what God's doing in my, I want to tell, I'm so excited. Well, these guys were seeing, I mean, people healed and delivered and set free and people coming to Christ and, and it was amazing and all these things that were happening. I can only imagine how super excited they were to come back and tell Jesus about it all. They didn't have cell phones. They weren't talking to him up to that point. So they come back and they're super excited. But after six weeks of being constantly on the go, constantly going from town to town, ministering and doing all that goes on with that, these guys were extremely exhausted as well. Please, we have to remember, they were human beings. And they were tired. And so they came back and, and couldn't wait to tell Jesus, but these guys also needed a rest. You know what? They needed a break from the crowds. They just, you ever get to that place where, you know what, I just need to get away. On top of all that, in Matthew 14, it tells us that Jesus had just found out. These guys are coming back, and as they're coming back, somewhere in that, that air, Jesus just found out that his cousin John had just been beheaded. And Jesus just found out that John was killed and buried. And he's like, oh, we, we need to get away. And he invites the disciples to, let's just get away on a solitary time of getting out where we can just regroup and, and just collect ourselves and find some rest. And so Matt, Mark, he, the gospel gives this invitation. Jesus said in Mark 6, 31, and he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest, and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. So people were just coming and crowding around and they didn't even have time to eat. And so Jesus says, let's go get a break. Well, what do the disciples do? These fishermen, they do what they do when they need a rest, when they need a break. They get into their boat. And these guys get into their boat and they get out there and they push off and they head out. 
because they're headed to somewhere around Bethsaida. So it's you know somewhere between Capernaum and, and the town of Bethsaida. They come to some kind of a desolate place there. But the point is, is that the disciples get into this boat and, the, and Jesus, they get into the boat because they're trying to get away from the crowd. They're trying to find a place, a way, just to get a little bit of a break. Have you ever been to that place where you just, you know what, I just need a break. I just need to get away. I just need some rest. I just need to replenish myself. I need something. They're, and so they get into this boat with the hope of discouraging the crowd from following them. And I'm sure there probably were a few boats out there that went, but for the most part, they were hoping they could just get away. Just get away. You ever planned a vacation like that? We're just, you know what, we're, we just got to get away. How'd you feel at a time when you planned a vacation like that and then somebody did something or something happened and, you know, somebody did something dumb or somebody just wouldn't, and, and your vacation got canceled? That can make you bitter. Like, I needed rest and you ruined it. Well, these people, what's important in all this is that as Jesus, you know, he pushes off and the disciples are out there and the disciples, one of the things that they failed at was losing the multitudes. They didn't lose the multitudes. They couldn't. In fact, because of that, they, they lost this vacation time with Jesus. I mean, th th these guys, Jesus says, come, come away with me. Let's find a time to rest and spend some time together. I mean, what an amazing opportunity. What's, I mean, that's something that they had to be longing for. And now all of a sudden it isn't going to happen. It says in Mark 6.33, Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When they went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. So can't you see the disciples and Jesus, they push off in the boat, and they're going out, and the crowds are going, Hey, wait, where, where are you going? What are you guys doing? Hey, where are you going? Hey, they're going that way. Can't you see the disciples running along the shore? There they are. People are close, you know, they're right out there. Jesus, that's him and the disciples. They're out there. Come on along. And, and people from the villages are coming along with them. They're like, okay. And, and this crowds are starting to get bigger and bigger. And can you see, they're just all watching and calling out to each other. Come, come on, Jesus, there he is. They can see him. You can't see across the Sea of Galilee. You can still see a speck out there. And they weren't that far out. And, and can't you imagine the view of the disciples? They're looking at all these people. The, the crowd's getting bigger. Row faster, guys. Row faster, guys. Come on, hurry up. We got to beat them. We got to get ahead of them. And, and, and so they're just like trying their best to get away from it all. But the crowds anticipate where they're going to land. And they come to this shore and they're rowing up towards shore. And there's this crowd, bigger crowd than there ever was. How disappointing. I mean, the boat comes to land. And there's just this crowd of people. And the disciples had to have been weary, tired, disappointed with this. And Jesus was grieving. He's exhausted. But he doesn't turn a single person away. Let me tell you, you, you may come to a point in your life where you feel like, you know what? Jesus doesn't care. I want you to know he has compassion for you. He has compassion for what you're going through. And every single person there, what Jesus did, Jesus made them feel welcome. No matter what his situation or what his feelings, he made them feel welcome. It says when the crowds, in verse 11, it says, when the crowds learned it, they followed him and he welcomed them. 
and spoke of them, of the kingdom of God, and cured those who needed healing. That word welcome, the Greek word, what it means is welcome someone or receive someone favorably. So what Jesus did, he didn't just like out of, a, out of a, a need to try to be nice, just welcome them. He was receiving these people favorably. Look, you may not feel worthy. You may not feel like Jesus should care. You may not feel at times like Jesus does care. But I want you to know that every time you turn to him, whenever you come to him, he receives you favorably because he loves you. And that's what he does with this crowd, this crowd that he should have been saying, hey, can't you guys leave me alone just for a minute? Can't you guys just give me a break? I mean, how do you respond when you're under stress like that? What do you do? So often when, when, when we're under stress and we're under pressure and we're like, you know, overwhelmed with things, what, we want to push people away. We want to push people away. And when people won't be pushed away, we get angry or we can get nasty. We, we, I mean, that's when we say things that, you know what, I shouldn't have said that. And we regret those things that we say, but we're just trying to just preserve our space. But what do you do when somebody won't honor that when somebody just keeps pressing into your space, the space that you're trying to just stay sane in. Well, what do you do when people don't cooperate? Most of us, we can get pretty nasty about it. We can. But how different is Jesus? Look, if you're a disciple... You may have, have, have responded that way, but you have a responsibility as a disciple to be transformed into the image of Christ, to look a little more like him and a little more like him. And what Jesus was showing them is the same thing he's showing you and I. You know what? Be nice, not because you have to, but because you get to. Be transformed, be changed. If you're a disciple and you have a nasty disposition then change it. Let God change it. But he's going to use you to do it. Oh, that's just the way I am. What a cheap cop-out. And excusing yourself to be mean-spirited and nasty. Jesus doesn't ever do that. He doesn't. He, he's just completely, I mean, it says here, it says when he went ashore, in verse 34, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He began teaching them. Jesus, Jesus ministers not out of what he does. Jesus ministers out of who he is. Jesus is the shepherd. And so he always ministered as a shepherd. Because he cared about people. He cared about what was going on in their lives. He cared about where they were in the kingdom. He cared about them. It flows out of him because he's a shepherd. What flows out of you when pressure comes? See, what flowed out of Jesus when the pressure came was this heart to shepherd, compassion. I don't know what came out of the disciples. I know what comes out of a lot of us. And we like to really blame, like, you know, pressure. I, I mean, there would have been these people. Why are these people still hounding us? Why won't they leave us alone? Those people were the pressure, but what was coming out of them was what was in them. Look, when you're pressured, it's not the pressure that's the problem. The problem is that the pressure is revealing what's in you. And oftentimes what's in us is ugly. And so we don't want to deal with that because it's ugly, and so we start making excuses for why it's okay. 
rather than being changed and transformed and letting it be a revelation. Oh my goodness, Lord, I can't believe that came out of me. I need to be changed and transformed. I need you in me. I need your help, Lord. Because the only thing that can come out of you is what's in you. The only thing that came out of Jesus was what was in him. The heart of a shepherd. So he sees these needs and, and he gives over and above. Jesus has compassion and he gives over and above. Even though he's, he's reeling from the death of his cousin. Grieving, yet still he... he, he, he ministers in compassion. And, and so they're out there and they're in this deserted place. They're along the shore of Galilee somewhere just, and it's deserted place. And John's gospel explains that Jesus went up onto the hill and from the top of the hill, the, he and the disciples were there and he began to minister to those that were in the flats. And we, when we were in um, Israel, we got to look at some of the places that they thought this might possibly have been, you know, some of that. Uh, still not exactly sure. Nobody's really exactly sure where this all happened. But we know that he was on this hill preaching to the people and he was doing it for hours. For hours and hours, Jesus is just teaching these people and loving on these people and healing these people. He, they're off in this totally deserted place and Jesus is just speaking from his heart to this huge crowd that's there. And he's telling them about his father. You guys need to come. Let me tell you about my father. Let me tell you about the kingdom of God, my father's kingdom. Let me tell you what's to come. Let me tell you what I'm here for. Jesus was just sharing all these things and these people are just soaking it up. I mean, they're sitting there for hours just amazed at the teachings, the things that are coming out of Jesus, things they've never heard before, things that never nobody has ever spoken before. This was amazing. And in each one of the Gospels, the disciples, they're coming towards the end of the day. It's a long day. Again, they were exhausted when they started. They got into a boat, had to row for miles. I have a rowing machine. They rowed for miles. Then they got out, and this crowd is there, and Jesus is ministering for hours to these people. And they come to Jesus and say, Jesus, you need to close the meeting. These people are hungry. I wonder if those, they, how would they have known specifically that all these people were hungry? I think it was their own stomach they heard. And uh, verse 12, Jesus, they, they say to Jesus, you need to let these people go so they can get something to eat. Verse 12, it says, now the day began to wear away and the 12 came. So, you know, I'm, look, I'm thinking about that now. You know what those 12 were doing? Those 12 were off here on the side. Jesus is ministering to the crowds and the 12 are gathered over here. They're in this hungry, their stomachs are grumbling and they're hungry and they're over here and they're looking at this whole situation, looking at this crowd of people and the 12 come together and they come to the decision. They decide what Jesus needs to do. You ever done that? Jesus, here's the situation. We've analyzed it. We've talked about it. We figured it out. Okay, Jesus, here's your answer. 
This is what they, they come, they, they figured it all out and they said to him, send the crowds away and go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provision for we are here in this desolate place. So they're, they're saying that, this, you know, Jesus, you need to let them go because this wasn't a planned gathering. This wasn't like a crusade where they had flyers everywhere weeks ahead of time. People didn't come prepared. People were just like walking along the shore and others came running by. There's Jesus out there. We're going to find Jesus. I heard him, and, and the crowds are growing and gathering, and more and more people are coming along to go see Jesus. And so they come to this place, and they're not prepared for this. They didn't come knowing that they were going to be there. They, some of them didn't even know how far they were going to be running. H have you ever found Jesus takes you further than you ever thought you would go? To places you never dreamed you would be? Blessed are these people, they're at this place and there's nothing there. They've given no thought. They didn't have any provisions. Nobody had brought any, any provision. Nobody knew how far they were gonna go. They, they just wanted to go see Jesus and got caught up in this. I, I wanna go see this healing or we need this healing. We need this deliverance. We need this. And so they're miles from home, nothing but, but a grumbling in their stomach. The sun's starting to go down. And in Matthew chapter 14, Matthew 14 tells us that there was 5,000 men there that day, plus women and children. Most commentators believe there was upwards close to, there was 20,000 people or so there. 20, think about that, 20,000 people in a little deserted area, place where, where Jesus landed. And, and Jesus drew a crowd like that to a deserted place. And they had church. I mean, this, this is absolutely incredible, all of these people. And so the disciples are up there on their hill, and they're looking out, and they're seeing all that's going on. Jesus is preaching and teaching. He's just totally consumed with compassion for these people. He's not thinking about anything else, but just ministering to these people and finding their needs and ministering to those needs. And the disciples, they're like, um, uh, Jesus, it's time to close the meeting. Come on, how many of you ever leaned over to your husband or wife and said, man, it's time to close church service here. These guys have been there hours and the disciples are like, it's time to go home. Jesus, these guys, you know what? We gotta get them out of here so they can go home. And, 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 and what Jesus says to them is absolutely amazing. In verse 13, Jesus turns to these guys and he says to them, you give them something to eat. Well, we're having, well, there's a few people having breast savers because <laughs> that's all I got. I, I, what do you mean? You give them something to eat. Why, why does Jesus, why is Jesus saying this to us? Have you ever gotten to a place in your life where you thought, Jesus, why are you saying this to me? And, and that leads to the next question. Jesus, why can't you just be practical? Why, why can't you just do this and then it would be easy and everybody could go home? I mean, haven't you ever thought, Jesus, why can't you just do this the practical way, the easy way, or my way? 
And so these guys are all thinking the same thing. And, and John, in John chapter 6, it, it indicates that Jesus knew what was going to happen, that he, he knew what was going on in all of this, because it says in John 6, in verse 6, he said, and he said this, he's talking about what he just said about you feed them. He said this to test him. He, he was speaking specifically to Philip, but also to the disciples in that time. He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. These guys had no clue what Jesus was doing. But the scripture tells us that Jesus knew the whole time exactly what he was going to do. That, that will preach. So he says this to test him. Test him. The 5,000, this was a test. A test for who? In church, I believe that this was a test, not for the crowds that day, but for those disciples and those who would be disciples. Something that he's teaching still today. And this was an important, there was a, absolutely an amazing lesson in all of this, but the lesson was never going to be learned until Jesus had driven these guys. He, he had pushed them to the point where they would realize their absolute total inadequacy of their own resources. Look, God will always get us to this place where we will have to come to the revelation of the absolute inadequacy of our own resources. There, we are completely inadequate to do what we're supposed to do, to do what we're called to do, to do what God is wanting us to do. We are completely inadequate to do it. And God will always get us to that place. The problem in the Western world today is that we are so self-sufficient that there's not much we're not adequate to take care of. And so Jesus will always get us to this place where, you know what, you're going to find your inadequacy so that you can find my adequacy. See, Jesus in, in, in Mark and in John, they said, Jesus, you know, you, we feed, that'll take thousands of dollars to do that. Just so we can go buy food and feed them one day? I mean, you want us, we can't do that. Besides, all that money, we don't have it. We don't have it all. This was way beyond their means. Jesus was taking them to the place where they would absolutely understand the complete and total inadequacy of their resources. I was listening to a sermon earlier in the week, and, and he was preaching on Gideon, and, and he was talking about Gideon in a, in a different sense, but I thought, oh, wow, Gideon, and I started reading Gideon 6 and 7, and I realized that, you know what, that's exactly what God was doing with Gideon. Taking Gideon to the place where Gideon would absolutely know the inadequacy of his resources. Gideon, this meek, mild-mannered guy, he's called to stand and to fight, to create a, an army of Israel to go against the Midianites. And he, he knows there's an army of 150,000, and Gideon's like, I'm not sure if... And, and, and the fleece is answered, and he's like, okay, I'm going to bring an army together. And he calls the men of Israel to come, and the men of Israel come. And again, I'm very much paraphrasing all this. You can read it later. But he calls the men of Israel to come together, and Gideon's like, yeah, okay, 32,000. That's pretty cool. We got 32,000. Not great when you look at up against 150,000 people, but still, you know, okay, I'm, I'm pretty I'm encouraged. And God comes to him and God says, um, Gideon, you got too many men. You, you need to pare this down. 
And Gideon's like, well, uh, what, do you, what, do you, what do you mean? <laughs> Pair this down. We're already outnumbered. And, and, and he says to him, uh, you know, no, you got too many men. If you win with 32,000, you will think that you did it in your own strength and in your own might rather than my strength and my might. So you got too many guys. Okay, so Gideon goes to the army and says, any of you... And I just wonder if his motivation was like, none of these guys are going to have the heart to say that they're afraid. Yeah. It's like asking a bunch of men to raise their hand. How many of you men in here are afraid? You know, it's like nobody raises their hand. Well, he says to these guys, he says, if you're afraid, I want you to uh, go home. You don't have to be here. And so they, a third, two-thirds of his army goes away. Now he's down to 10,000 men. And he's looking at those 10,000 men going, oh no. God, how are we ever going to do that? You ever found God dwindling away your resources to the point where it's become impossible now to do what it is that you feel God's calling you to do? Oh, he's down to 10,000 men. How in the world are we going to do this? And God comes to Gideon again and says, hey, Gideon. I called you to go against the people, the Midianites. I called you to go against them. But listen, you got too many men still. Well, God, what? God basically tells them, I want you to watch the guys as they drink from the creek. And a certain number of guys, when they drink a certain way, those are the guys I want you to send home. All right. And so Gideon does that. And now Gideon is standing there. And he's got 300 men. 300 men. Can't you imagine the thought that he was like, God, what have you done to me? Everything's been taken away. Everything's been destroyed. And now I'm in this impossible situation where my resources are completely inadequate. And God turns to Gideon, looks at his 300 men, and says... Okay, now the fight's fair. If God is for you, who can be against you? Amen. So, so I realized that what God was doing with Gideon is the same thing that God was doing with these disciples when they're looking at this crowd of 20,000 people and they're holding up this little tiny lunch. I mean, what are we going to do? 20,000 people. Five loaves of bread and two pieces of fish. What am I going to do? But the disciples, the, what God was bringing them to is the same thing that he brings us to. We come to this place and God was bringing them to this place where these people, these disciples were about to learn what an almighty God can do with what you do have. Amen. Come on, we like to focus on what we don't have. And the disciples were there that day telling him all the things they don't have. Oh, we don't have the money. We don't have the food. We don't have the resources. We don't have, we don't have it, Jesus. What are we going to do? And Jesus is like, what do you have? Gideon, oh, I can't do this. I can't do this, God. I don't have the soldiers. I don't have the weaponry. I don't have the ammunition. I don't have the thing. I don't have. And Jesus, and God, Jesus is like, what do you have? Oh, you got 300 men. Great, that's no problem. Let's go. And that, this day is a day these guys aren't about to forget. This is just amazing. And so he, Jesus then, and he doesn't then say, okay, that's it. He pushes them further. 
You ever been pushed by Jesus further than you wanted to be pushed? If you haven't, you will be. You will be. He will push you. He will push you into places. And, and then Jesus, he asks in, in Mark chapter 6 and verse 38, one of the most like uncomfortable questions. Jesus turns to the disciples and he says to them, how many loaves do you have? And then he says, bring them to me. Bring them to me. Go see what you have and bring them to me. I know what you don't have. I know you don't have the thousands of dollars. I know you don't have a Costco trailer sitting out back there filled with food and all this stuff. I know you don't have all that. I don't care what you don't have. Go check your resources and come tell me what you do have. Church, listen, I know Jesus knows, God knows, you know all the things you don't have, but have you taken inventory of what you do have? That's what God is asking these guys to do. And can you imagine for these guys? And, and they're like, oh, go find food? What are you talking about? Go. Can you imagine the discussion of the disciples? This is absolutely ridiculous. Why in the world are we doing this? I'm out searching around. These people, if, if these people had any food, then we wouldn't be worried about having to feed them, Jesus. Have you ever reasoned to try to help Jesus find some sense in something? Can't you just imagine these guys going out? I can't believe it. Searching 20,000 people. I mean, how in the world are we going to find this? And how are we? I mean, what's going on here? And so they're, they're, they're searching around looking for food. I'm sure that they were grumbling. They were tired. Why couldn't he just send them home like we told him? You ever gotten upset with God because he didn't do what you said to do and then seemed to make it worse? Come on, amen. I'm alone on that one. <laughs> So they're searching all around, and then in, in uh, John 6, in verse 8, it says, one of the disciples, uh, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, and again, I can hear the sarcasm in his voice, well, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? So this little boy's got two fish and five loaves. What do the disciples have? Nothing. They've got absolutely Nothing. And thank God, they find a little boy whose mama cared. A little boy. Yeah, a little boy whose mama made him a lunch and said, here, I want you to take this with you. Can, can you imagine that little boy going out there and going, oh, man, I can't believe I got to carry this lunch with me. I'm what do I need this for? Nobody else has a lunch. Nobody else is carrying anything. Why do I got this stupid lunch, mom? Come on. Oh, I remember my daughter Carly. She was so upset when she got to school one time. And in her lunch, we had made her sandwich. And we made her sandwich on a bun and not bread. And she was so embarrassed by the lunch we sent. I'm sure this little boy, he's like, I don't know. I don't want this lunch. I don't know why I'm carrying this lunch. And, and it, probably, it probably looked like this. I'm sure he had his, it in a Walmart bag. I mean, I'm sure. And, and inside there was, uh, you know, five little, little loaves that would have, would have looked a little bit like this, like just 11 cakes of bread. And there would have been either some smoked or dried fish. And this little boy's like, here. <laughs> I mean... 
I don't even like fish. <laughs> Go ahead. And, and so the disciples are like, probably like, oh, okay. All right, Jesus, you want us to show you what we found? Come on, let's take this. And, and I'm sure there was some confusion, confusion. What are we doing this for? What? I mean, what is the point of this? You know what? God will take you to a point where you start asking him that over and over. What's the point of this? We have to trust that Jesus always has a point for this. He always does. And so he's got this lunch, and, and they're irritated, and, and, and they're, they're like, I can't you imagine, why, why is Jesus doing this to us? Why is Jesus pushing us this way? Why is he doing this? In, I, it's, come on. There's nothing he's going to be able to do with this. What's going on? There's not enough food. And he wants us to count it. Okay, one, two, three, four, five. Here you go, Jesus. But church, this is one of the things that we have to commend them on. Is because they did what he said. Even though they didn't understand. They did what he said because he was the master. And, and it says in verse 13, it goes on, it says, they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy more food for all these people. So, so we're in this sequence, and, the, and so the sequence goes like they've got a problem. The disciples decide what the problem is. The disciples decide we need to send everybody home and let them fend for themselves. And Jesus, he doesn't like their answer to the problem. And so Jesus, Jesus has a totally different idea. Again, that will preach. I mean, how many times have you come to the conclusion of what Jesus needs to do? His spirit speaks something else. He leads you into something different. It's like, what in the world? And so they're in this thing. And so Jesus, these guys are saying, send them home. And Jesus says, you feed them. Jesus, do you, do you 20,000 people here, do you, do you see what, how you feed them? And they said, we can't. How many times have you told Jesus you can't? I can't stop sleeping around. I can't stop drinking. I can't stop getting high. I can't stop cussing. I can't stop lying. I can't. I can't. And Jesus says to them, what do you have? What do you have? Well, Jesus, we have five little loaves and two pieces of fish. And then Jesus says, give them to me. Give them to me. What, what do you want this for? Wait a minute, Jesus, look. Before this, we had nothing. Then you blessed us with five loaves and two pieces of fish. There's enough here for us as disciples to at least get a couple of bites. How often do we just hold back because we think, God, if I give this up, I'll have nothing. If I give this up, I'll have to live in the unknown. I can't, I can't do this. But it, you know what? Until the disciples... Until the disciples, until us as disciples, until we become willing to commit what we do have to the problem, we'll keep going around the mountain. We'll just keep, Jesus will wait. No, no. 
You don't want to give those to me? I'll wait. But Jesus, what are we going to do? What do you have? Give it to me. Give it to me. He wanted them to be a part of the process. Jesus wants you to be a part of the process. He wants you to be a part, being willing to commit, being willing to, to, to contribute, being a willing part of the solution of what's going on, no matter how tiny and inadequate. And he doesn't need you because he needs you. He needs you because he wants you. He wants you to learn the lesson. He wants you to see how you can depend on him, how you can have faith in him, how you can trust in him, no matter how small or inadequate you might think that it is. God, look, we're still reading about the widow's might. And so then Jesus starts to separate the people. In verse 14, it says, and, and, and again, there were about 5,000 men, and he said to the disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. So if there was 20,000 people there, I did the math, 50 groups of 20,000, that's 400 groups. So can you imagine what it was like for Jesus' 12 disciples to go into a crowd of 20,000 people and to divide them into groups of 50? I mean, it really literally would be like herding cats, trying to get people to do what they're... My goodness, when we were in Israel, we had a group of about 40 people, and I felt so bad for our tour guide. He's like, okay, okay, everybody listen. You're in the bus, everybody listen. Okay, this is what you guys need to do. Follow me. Okay, and then we would get to where we were supposed to go, and we're standing there, and it's like, half the people aren't there. Like, what about follow me? Do the people not understand? The tour guide was like, I don't know what's the matter here, but something's wrong with these people. Can you imagine trying 20,000 people, trying to get them to cooperate, trying to get them into place, and the disciples not knowing at all what's going on? Uh, why in the world are we doing this? We just gave him five little loaves and two fish. What in the world's going on here? Why does he want us to go through this headache? This is a hassle. This is frustrating. I don't understand it. Man, has God ever taken you to a place where you felt that way? So they're, he's got them, they're, they're separating themselves out and, and it says, and they did that and they all sit down. So what, what the guys were doing, they had no clue what was happening here. Why is this going on? But Jesus was organizing for the miracle that was about to happen. You see, it looked like chaos to them, but Jesus was organizing. He was arranging the crowd in such an orderly way. He was putting things together. Now the disciples could see how much bread was needed here. They could walk around the crowd. The crowd was sitting, so they weren't just like being bum-rushed from hungry people. Jesus is preparing the ground for a miracle. You may not understand what's going on in your life. You may not understand why God is calling you to what he's calling you to do. And I just want you to know that your understanding does not change the reality that God may absolutely right now in this moment be preparing the ground in your life for a miracle. But how many along the way say, you know what? I don't understand it. I'm not going to do it. We withhold our lunch. We refused to do. I mean, what would have happened at any point if the disciples said no? No, I'm not going to do that. Jesus was preparing the ground for a miracle. 
And, and then he holds up the bread and, and, and he gives thanks. He, he says in verse 16, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. He gave thanks over them. And, and he takes the loaves and, and maybe, you know, he, he has them in front of him. He's got them in his Walmart bag. And, and he's holding up this little lunch and he's got this lunch and it's out in front of him and he lifts it up and he says a blessing over it. He gives thanks. But, but the, the word there that's used in that is eulogio, and that is where we get the word eulogize. It means he eulogized over them, which eulogize, what it means is he spoke well of praise or extol. Again, he wasn't giving thanks for this. He was taking the opportunity to give praise and thanks to God. It was all about God. You know, we pray, like, God, we bless our food and thank you for the food, thank you for what you've provided. But the Jews in that day, the traditional Jewish uh, prayer over their meals was all about God. It wasn't about the food. It was about the God who gave the food. It was a blessing. And the typical prayer was, blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the world, who has caused bread to come forth out of the earth. It was an opportunity to give praise unto God in everything. And he gave praise unto God, praise unto the Father. And he held that up before him, and he praised God for it. And again, I think we should be praying that way. And he broke the bread and the loaves, and he gave them to the disciples that were set before them. So the disciples, obviously, they had some baskets. The word for baskets in verse 17 is kopeneos. Kopenos. (laughs) All these Greek words. But what it means is a basket. It, it, it's probably a, hard, a large basket. In fact, one definition of kopinos was the basket that the army men would wear on their back that would carry supplies and rations and materials and things of that sort. Another was something that they would carry into the uh, marketplace to carry their groceries in. But another definition was what the disciples or what fishermen would have in their boat to take the fish from the boat to the marketplace. And so it it probably looked much like this. Probably was wicker, but this is as close as it can. And and it would have probably had some back, some some straps or some some tie on it where they could put it on their back and carry it. So the, the disciples had bags like these. And so the disciples, they had these, and I can just see, can't you see Jesus? The disciples, are, you know, they set the bag down in front of Jesus, and Jesus has this, this little bag. And Jesus prays over it, and then he starts to break the bread. And he starts breaking the fish. And he, start, he starts taking this little bag to fill up this bag. And he just keeps breaking bread, and keeps breaking bread, and he keeps filling it up, and filling it up, and filling it up. And then that disciple, when it was full, that disciple would go out. And again, remember, 300, 400 groups of 50 people, a basket like this, and they're taking it out, and they're feeding the people in these groups. I don't know if one of these would feed 50 people, but even if one fed 50 people, they've got to take that one basket or the baskets they have. That's 400. Whatever you want to break that up. 400 times or 300 times, however you want to break that up, these guys are taking, and Jesus the whole time. In fact, the word there he gave to the disciples, is an, it's an imperfect tense. It, 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 what it really means is a continued action in the past. So it meant that Jesus kept giving and giving and giving. 
And he just kept, so the disciples would come and they'd have their basket. Jesus would be in here, he'd be breaking it up, and breaking it into the, and breaking it up, and they'd be taking that basket out, and then the next one would put his basket down, and he'd break it, and he'd go through all of this and break it up. I mean, hundreds of baskets later. How, how many baskets like this do you think it would take to feed 20,000 people? To feed them well. And, and this is what he's doing, just breaking this bread, breaking this fish, taking it out to the people that are there. And the disciples, I'm sure, are like, wow, this is crazy. What's going on here? I, this is amazing. And they keep going out and they keep serving. And I'm sure they were exhilarated in what was going on. But even when you're exhilarated about something, that does not take away the exhaustion. I mean, when we have our, our Thanksgiving dinner here, you know, we have 200, 250 people that we serve. And by the end of that day, I am exhausted. It's a great, wonderful, one of my favorite days. It's exhilarating and fun. I enjoy it. But man, I am exhausted. And I don't think I'm even the one doing the most. I know I'm not the one doing the most work. It's just exhausting to try to feed that many people. And for 20,000 people, these guys had to have been absolutely exhausted. And then, so what happens, they come back to Jesus. <sighs> okay, everyone's been fed. Thank you, Jesus. And then it says in verse 17, and they all ate and were satisfied, and what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. So everybody ate until they were full. Everyone ate and the disciples, they're exhausted, totally worn out. And, and Jesus, you know, they come back to Jesus. They think they're done. And Jesus says, hey guys, I got one more job for you. Oh, what now? I want you to take your, your baskets and I want you to go pick up all the pieces that are laying all over the hillside. Jesus, it's biodegradable. I need to pick it up. It's good for the environment. It's good, Jesus. We don't need to pick it up. And Jesus said, go pick them up. And they all go out and they pick up the leftover pieces and they come back to Jesus with baskets full. Twelve of them. Why would Jesus push these disciples like this? Why would Jesus push these exhausted disciples this way? Because Jesus wanted to get them to the place where they saw that their resources were completely inadequate. But when we take what we do have and put it into God's hands, God's provision is more than just adequate. In fact, it's more than enough to meet the needs. And they were carrying the weight of that blessing. It was a day they would never forget. In Mark chapter 8, it says that, that they started to question again, Jesus, where are we going to get food? And Jesus says, don't you remember, guys, when I fed you, you know, the, the multitudes with the five fish? How many, how many baskets were left over was the question that he ended with them. Not how much did you begin with, how much was left over? There was an abundant, more than adequate response or uh, uh, finished to the whole thing, that Jesus, he made sure they felt the weight of that basket, the weight of what was there. That became a day they would never forget the abundance of God. 
And again, I, I, you know, again I, I, as you know, I am not a, the prosperity preacher, but I am one who believes fully and completely in the absolute miraculous provision of God that goes over and above what we deem we think we need, that our God is a God who blesses his children. Our God is a God who provides for us in great and wonderful ways, and God's looking for us to be a part of that. He's looking for us to trust him all that. And that's the, one of the things that we have to understand in the simplicity of ministry, the principles that God gives us. Why did he perform this miracle? Do you realize this miracle actually caused him problems? It says in Mark or John chapter 6, it says after the people saw all these miracles, John chapter 6 verse 15, it says, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. The people saw the Messiah doing messianic things and they started to have messianic expectations about what Jesus should do and they wanted to make him king. It's time to put an end to Rome. It's time for you to rise up as king and raise up an army and to do all this. And I can only imagine that some of the disciples may very well have been, yes, Jesus, it's time. And Jesus, he's like, no, 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 listen, it's not time. And this will disrupt the ministry that Jesus had yet to, to fulfill, and it would disrupt the ministry of the disciples. You know, there's times God doesn't do what you think he should do. He doesn't show up the way he thinks you should show up. He doesn't do in the miraculous fashion the way you think that he should miraculously show up. And Jesus is saying, no, listen, that will disrupt the ministry that I have through you. And I need you to walk through this and learn some of this and hold to some of this. It's a place where in this time here, they wanted him to do this and Jesus didn't. And I believe that this whole thing was something for disciples. It's something that he was teaching his disciples and he's still teaching his disciples today. Jesus could have just snapped his fingers and done. He was God, fully God. He could have done it. He could have called for the ravens to come and begin to drop, you know, start bread bombs everywhere. He could have, but he didn't. But you know what else he didn't need or didn't need to, he didn't need their pitiful little five loaves. He didn't need this. He wanted it because it was a sign of their trust for him. The disciples could have said, man, Jesus, this is all we got. We need to eat later. We we, we need this. And what do we do when we, what happens when we hold back what Jesus is asking for? Because it's all we have. I can't, I can't, I know it's all I have, Jesus. If I give you the lunch, then we don't have anything to eat. And Jesus is saying, trust me. Trust me. They needed to learn this lesson. Church, our resources are woefully short on being able to meet any needs. When, I mean, we can't do anything on our own. It's only in him. We are will, will, And listen, if you're not woefully inadequate in your resources to meet the needs around you, then Jesus will pretty soon get you there. He, he will bring you to a place where you have to realize, I, I, I am inadequate in myself. And you set yourself into the position for the miracle worker to do what only he can. He calls us to take inventory, to take the inventory and to bring those resources to Jesus. Have you, have you been willing to take what you have, take what you've got, take what he's blessed you with and give them to Jesus? To place them into his hands and give them to Jesus? 
you know what that means you do? Is you take those resources and you give them to Jesus and you let go of the control. Uh-oh. All the control freaks, freaks said, uh-oh. And then when we do that, though, Jesus has this opportunity to bless them, to place these things back in our hands, multiplied, more powerful, more able to do what it is that we now never had the ability to do before, but now we do. More than we ever dreamed, hoped, or imagined. This is a faith process. This is experiencing faith in our life and what he's calling us to walk in. But often we look at all this and, 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 and worship team, you can come back up. I'm gonna, I'm gonna finish. What we look at, we look at how little we have and we, we say, God, it's too little. It's not enough. It'll never work. So there's no sense in me giving it. It's like the widow's mite. What can he do with my two little mites? Why give it? But she did. And we still read about her today. You can look at the immensity of the need around you. And because it's so big, and it is, you can give up. You can see the lack of provision and how you can't meet that need, and, and you can give up. We can selfishly hang on to what we do have because we're fearful about the unknown. Or a lot of us, we just want God to take care of it all on his own. We don't really want to have a part in it. And God wants to partner with us. And he's preparing us through this process. He's preparing us, getting us ready. He, God does it. And he does it all by himself. We got something buzzing. Church, we need to release our resources to him. And I'm not, again, I'm not, this is not, I'm not raising up an offering. This is your resources. What is it you have? What is it that you're doing? What is it that God has blessed you with? What is it the gifts, the talents, the things that he's given you with? Are you, are you willing to take them even as little and insignificant as they look like and give them to Jesus? You can't let the insignificance of what you think they are being at things the way you look comes an obstacle that hinders you. Stop looking at things the way you look at things and start looking at things the way Jesus looks at things because Jesus sees the widow's might and that's the offering that we hear about. Jesus sees Gideon and his army. He sees him whittled down to 300. That's when we see God talking about that. We see Abraham being willing to lay his son, the promise, on an altar because God said to and he didn't understand it but he knew that God would do whatever it took to bring through him the promise of the provision of the Abraham Abrahamic covenant that God would make with his people. And you and I deal with this every single day when we look at the inadequacy of our ability to do what God's called us to do, but we take the abilities and the things that we do have and we put them into his hands. And God does incredible and wonderful things. And you know what this is? This is the school of discipleship. So are you a disciple or not? It's the question. Because when we learn this, we get to be joy-filled basket bearers of Jesus' empowered food to the multitudes. And you can take that in any realm that you want to take that. 
God wants to use you to feed the multitudes around you. How he decides and desires to do that, that's up to him. We're called to submit. But you know what we get to do? We get to be those that get to pick up the pieces to experience the abundant blessings of God, to experience the breakthroughs that can come in so many ways. Yes, God can bless us financially, but there's so many things that God can bless us with that are so over and above that. God can bless us with the healing of a broken heart. God can restore families. God can bring lost loved ones to the cross. God can do anything. And there are so many things in so many ways that we can experience the abundant provision of our God. And this is the promise. Church, this is the question, and I'll, and I'll pray. But this is that question, this is that, as the video, the red letter question. How many loaves do you have? Oh, no, you know what? No, get it out of your mouth. Don't, don't start thinking of all the things you can't do, all the things you don't have, all the things you don't, 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 don't. don't. No. How many loaves do you have? And Jesus says this, go and see. And that's what a disciple does. Go and see and give them to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for each one that's here. Thank you, Lord God. I thank you so much for a little boy with a lunch that he's willing to give up. I thank you for the story of these disciples, Lord, who took that lunch and also became willing to let go of it and to put it into your hands. I thank you for the story of these imperfect men and all of their possible grumblings and all the things they didn't understand and didn't like, all the things they couldn't figure out, all the things they didn't know what was going on, but they trusted in the one who did. And even though they didn't understand, they still obeyed. They still did what Jesus said to do. And I pray, Lord God, for a church like that, men, women, young people just willing to say, yes, Jesus. Okay. I, I don't understand, but I'll go out and find out how much food there is. I'll go out and find out how many loaves of bread are here. I'll go find out, Lord. I'll go do what you're calling me to do. I pray, God, for that spirit of obedience to rise up in your church. That we would learn to trust you, to be disciples, Lord we would do the things that, that you're calling us to do so that we can see the absolute wonderful results that, God, you have promised to give. No, I'm not talking about works. I'm talking about faith. I'm talking about trusting in God, about being willing to do whatever it is that God says to do. God, have your way. And if there's any apart from you here today, Lord, your word, draw them to yourself. I pray they would call out to you, Lord, for forgiveness of their sins. That God, they would ask you to come and live and dwell in them. That you would seal and put a sign in them, Lord, of the power of the Holy Spirit that would take up dwelling and make them the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
that God, you would fill us to overwhelm us with your love and compassion. I pray for those who have been afraid to come to you because of what religion has done to them. I pray that today, Lord, they could draw near to you, that God, they could experience the compassion, the heart, that Lord, you truly are, <clears throat> are a shepherd who loves them. Bring healing, bring restoration. Lord, speak to your church. We are not enough, but Lord God, we serve the one who's more than enough. So Lord, we stand with you today. We honor you. Thank you, Lord. Come on out. Thank you, Lord. Bless you, come. you meet me here? Thank you, Jesus. those promises in your heart and hold on trust in the Lord he knows what you're going through he also knows what you're going to I love you I pray God's blessing over you church is not over the church is about to begin so go be the church go be what God has called us to be God bless you have a beautiful day today